Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Gospel partnership involves opening your heart to other people. And I think we need this kind of point zero because in our culture, we, we sometimes can see opening your heart or being vulnerable with others as a point of weakness. And I will say this, especially among men, right? We want to be self-sufficient. We want to be strong. We don't need anybody or anything. We've got supplies for 10 years. We could live by ourselves in a nuclear apocalypse, right? This is the things that our culture prizes. Open God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. Vulnerability is crucial in the life of a believer. First and foremost, we make ourselves vulnerable before Christ, acknowledging that we're weak and need Him to empower us. Secondly, we need to open up and recognize our need for fellow believers. As Pastor Ricky challenges us in today's message, we need to be honest about our shortcomings and bravely reach out to our brothers and sisters to walk alongside us and provide accountability and guidance as we seek Christ together. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part one of his message, The Profile of a Gospel Partner, from the book of Philippians, chapter two. Let's jump into God's word today. We are in a series on the book of Philippians, so we are Philippians chapter two. And, you know, on, on Thursday night this week, um, a number of us from the church participated in really what I feel like was a holy moment, where on Thursday night, uh, Danny had been hospitalized, and, and a number of folks gathered, especially Thursday afternoon, evening, around him and around the family. Um, and actually, John came and led some spontaneous worship, and people were coming in and out, and it was this beautiful picture. I mean, it was really striking. It was this beautiful picture of people that Danny had impacted year after year after year. Um, from all walks of life, everything from their neighbors to, their co- to his co-workers to members of the church uh, from a long time ago, current members of the church. And it really was this powerful moment where you realize, man, this one man's life has impacted dozens and dozens and hundreds of people. But one of the striking things about that moment for me as I drove home is I, is I thought, you know what? I think Danny, he may have only ever preached one sermon at the church in his 30 years. Um, And often we in the church, we kind of hold up like, okay, the public gifts, those guys in the front, those are the people that really make an impact for the kingdom. The rest of us are just sort of along for the ride. And I thought, no, that's exactly the opposite. This man in every sphere of his life has impacted person after person just by having them in his living room year after year after year. And this quote, I think, sums up um, so much of that and sums up so much of what we are going to talk about today as a church from Philippians. It's a quote from D.A. Carson, and he says this, Much Christian character is as much caught as it is taught. That is, it is picked up by constant association with mature Christians, modeling, modeling. It takes place all the time, whether we take it into account or not. And friends, what was on display Thursday night 
and what Jesus wants to be on display in our lives is meant to help people, not to help people catch what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus. As we've been studying this letter in Philippians, Paul wants this church in Philippi to pay attention to what he has taught them, but now he wants the lessons he's taught them to be caught as well as taught. Um, Paul opens this letter by introducing the idea of gospel partnership, this idea that, that because we are all following Jesus, we've been brought into a relationship not only with Jesus, but also with one another. And now, in this section of Philippians, Paul is going to insert the example of two men who show us what it looks like to be gospel partners. Paul wants us to catch on, in a sense, to their example. Paul doesn't want gospel partnership to be sort of theoretical. He wants it to be a flesh and blood reality. So let's read Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. This is God's word. 2.19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So in this passage, we are introduced to two characters Um, And it may strike you as strange, right? If you've been following us in the book of Philippians, Paul has been sort of on these soaring flights of rhetoric the last few passages. I mean, he is talking about kind of the whole incarnation and his humbling and dying on the cross and being exalted and what that means and where to be a light. And then he interrupts it with random travel notes, right? So this guy I'm going to send to you at this time, and then maybe I will come also. And this other person came here and he almost died and therefore he's back. And you think, why is that in the Bible, right? Do we really need to know this? Like, okay, a random guy 2,000 years ago had a bag of money, he got sick, he got better. Like, thank you, Paul, for putting that in the Bible. But Paul is very intentional in inserting these stories at this point in the letter because these men are to be examples of what it looks like to live worthy of the gospel, what it looks like to follow Jesus and put others before yourself. And so let's, let me give you a feel for the two characters, all right, a little bit of their background. First, Timothy. Meet Timothy. 
Uh, this was a young man that Paul encountered on one of his missionary journeys. And we don't know for sure, but he was at least half Gentile, maybe holy Gentile, but at least half Gentile. And Paul saw something in this young man, maybe a late teenager or something like that. He invited Timothy into his work. He brought him into gospel ministry along with him. So he began to travel with Paul, sort of as Paul's assistant. But as he grew in the faith, as he grew in the Lord, as he was discipled and mentored by Paul, he began to take on more and more responsibility. Timothy became Paul's protege. But as we learn here, he was more than just a protege, more than just a successor. He was relationally like a son to Paul. Uh, eventually, we find that Timothy becomes someone who oversees churches and cares for them, following in Paul's footsteps. And now Timothy has come to Paul's aid in prison. Probably he's, he's come both to comfort Paul just as a friend, but also to help him uh, bring reports of the churches and write letters to extend Paul's ministry. But Paul is soon going to send Timothy to Philippi. And those in Philippi may have never met Timothy, and so Paul is, in a sense, introducing them to this man that they are going to meet very soon. So that's Timothy. Now meet Epaphroditus, which I confess, in advance of this message, has been a name that I've been dreading saying many times during a message, Epaphroditus. So in Roman imprisonment, um, nothing was provided in terms of food and clothing, right? So in America, if you go to prison, it's understood they're going to provide you, you know, with clothing, with basic food, with, you know, medical care if you get sick. Uh, in Roman prison, that was not the case. In Roman prison, you were taken to prison and you yourself had to come up with money for food, right, for like a blanket, for medical care if you got sick, um, for clothing, for all of that stuff. And so because none of that was provided and because Paul was in prison, um, this man, Epaphroditus, was sent by the church in Philippi, right? So they, they get this man. He looks trustworthy. He's probably uh, good with money or at least uh, trustworthy with money. And if you've ever traveled in a foreign country, I'm, I'm imagining that they put the, you know, the travel belt of money on him. You know, you guys ever done that? If you tra traveled through a foreign country where you're trying to hide, I don't have any money. It's just, I'm just totally normal right now. We had to do this one time where we were traveling internationally and I felt so nervous. I had like one of those like behind your back, like money things. And I just, the whole time I just was like, you know, like nothing, I'm just casual, just casual, just standing, you know. And so Epaphroditus gets this job, right? He gets the job of being the money guy. Now listen, in the ancient world, <laughs> you're traveling by yourself, uh, um, maybe with one or two traveling companions, it becomes known that you have a large sum of money on your person, uh, certain things will happen to you, right? And not only that, but travel in the ancient world was itself dangerous, right? If you got a disease from some city that was infected, it wasn't like medical care, like, oh, you'll be fine. It was like, oh, I'm sorry, you got sick. I guess you'll stay here and die, right? This is, this is the ancient world. Or you travel by boat or land, it was dangerous. And so Epaphroditus took on a significant task. But there's no indication that Epaphroditus was an elder, right? Or was, a, was known in the church or had prominence in the church. He essentially was the guy at the church members meeting that got voluntold that he was going to take this bag of money, right? Who should do this? I think Epaphroditus should. Yeah, me too. And Epaphroditus is going, whoa, whoa, you know, 
I'm I'm sure at some level, he's like, well, I do want to help Paul. And so he was just a faithful lay person. He comes to Rome, and on the way, he gets very, very ill. He nearly dies, but somehow he either recovers in Rome or he recovers enough to make it to Rome where he fully recovers there. And then now he's being sent back with this letter, right? So Epaphroditus is the guy that carries the letter to the Philippians back to the church. So these are two very different men. One was a known preacher and leader in the church. This was Paul's handpicked protege. The other was just a guy who got picked to carry a bunch of money and almost died. But together, they help us by giving us the profile of a gospel partner. Paul has said, look, look like Jesus in the way that you serve one another. And then he holds up these two men and says, this is what it looks like to look like Jesus and serve one another. Right? These are his examples. And so what we're going to do today is cover several marks of what it looks like to be a gospel partner. Now, this isn't a comprehensive picture. This is more like, okay, here's a line, and, and there's a line, and there's a line, and you can kind of sketch out and begin to see the thing taking shape, right? Just, this is, this is our, our um, church episode of a Bob Ross uh, painting tutorial, right, where he's sketching over here, and he's sketching over here. And, and together, and, and at first you're like, what is he drawing? And yet, the more he draws, the more you can kind of see, oh, okay, I see this. This is what Paul is doing. He's, he's revealing the profile of a gospel partner. So the main idea is simple today. A gospel partners seek to look like Christ and then are linked to others seeking to look like Christ. So if we're gospel partners, we seek to look like Christ, but we are also linked to others who are seeking to look like Christ. So the first set of marks of a gospel partner is first the heart, the heart of a gospel partner. A gospel partnership is not just an external action. It's not just serving a certain amount, meeting a minimum bar, or having the title of a church member. It goes much deeper than that. It involves the heart. The first mark is that it's a heart open. Listen to the language that Paul uses in talking about these gospel partners, right? He, he talks about wanting to be cheered by news of them. He's eager that the church rejoice with them. He's anxious for them. This is emotional language. And you might think, well, that's Paul. Maybe Paul's just kind of an emotional guy. But no, we hear of Timothy, that Timothy's concerned for the churches. We hear Epaphroditus, his heart aches for his friends back home. And so the point is that gospel partners open their hearts to one another. Now, this is sort of point zero because it's an implication of the text, but I believe it's important, especially for our culture. Gospel partnership involves opening your heart to other people. And I think we need this kind of point zero because in our culture, we, we sometimes can see opening your heart or being vulnerable with others as a point of weakness. And I will say this, especially among men, right? We want to be self-sufficient. We want to be strong. We don't need anybody or anything. We've got supplies for 10 years. We could live by ourselves in a nuclear apocalypse, right? This is the things that our culture prizes. But being a Christian means opening up your heart to other people. It means allowing them to have a place in your heart. It means entering into their joys and sorrows. In Romans 12, 15, Paul charges us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep or mourn with those who mourn. You enter into that. You know, in our 
community group this, this year so far, we have both rejoiced with one another and we have grieved with one another. And one of the members of our group lost a parent last fall and we hurt with them. Um, one of our members was unexpectedly laid off just out of nowhere. We hurt with them. But this week, um, one of our members was promoted after we all prayed for their promotion and we rejoiced together. Um, one of them is having a baby and last a couple weeks ago, we threw a baby shower and rejoiced together. And this is what gospel partnership means. It means opening your heart so that when somebody else hurts, you hurt too. That when somebody else rejoices, you rejoice too. So let me just pause and ask you, friend, is your heart open to others? Has it gotten maybe a little distant? Has it gotten a little cold? Maybe this just honestly isn't a value that you have. It's like, look, I do stuff, that's fine, but I don't wanna need other people. I don't wanna get wrapped up in their problems. Well, Christian life is to be very different. Second mark is a heart concerned. Paul says of Timothy, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He literally, when he says no one like him, he literally means I have no one who is like-souled with me. In other words, his affections and his heart and his concerns are the same as mine. Timothy carried Paul's heart and concern for the churches. He was genuinely concerned, meaning he was preoccupied. He was focused. This isn't a job to Timothy, right? He's not punching in and punching out nine to five. His heart is in this. And I think this is so important because we often measure Christian maturity through actions, right? Does that person show up? Do they serve? Do they give? Do they read the right books? But Paul holds out something that is much harder to see, a deep heart concern. Alec Matier comments this, we do well to dwell on this, for so it seems it is possible to be devoted to the cause of Christ, the spread of the gospel, the winning of the outsider, the loss of a hungry world, and yet to fall down in our attitudes toward other Christians. So it's not just going through the motions and hitting kind of the minimum bar, look, I served, I gave, get off my back. It's no, 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 gospel partnership is do you have a concern for them? Is your heart not only open to them, but sort of wrapped up with them. And one of the things I've loved over the last few months at our church is having some new folks come to the church and seeing this begin to happen, right? Their heart begins to be genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church. We had, we've had one uh, brother who's come to, the, to church recently and, and just as he was beginning to attend and check out the church immediately, as his heart started getting wrapped up, he, he, was, he saw, oh man, the ushers are needing help with chairs. And so he's looking around asking, man, where can we get more chairs right away? Another brother from the church has, has come up to me a few times the last week with really good suggestions on like, hey, have you guys thought about this? Our church, uh, I've seen churches do this where they are, help people follow along with the message in this way with this app and stuff. And I love that because these folks are coming in thinking, how can I help in this area, right? There's a genuine and growing concern for the welfare of the body. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. Third mark here though, a heart reordered. Paul makes this contrast between Timothy and some of the other people. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, evidently, there were some people out there, some ministers out there, right, as we've heard earlier, that 
are self-concerned. They may be preaching the gospel, but it's probably it's possibly to lift themselves up. Genuine concern for themselves, not for the churches that they serve. And, and Timothy, and Paul is saying, no, Timothy is different. See, Timothy puts the interests of Christ first, not his interests first. See, the gospel order is to put Jesus' interests first. It means that your first thought goes from being, what can I get out of this? But how can I make Jesus' name look great in this situation, right? Rather than putting yourself first and then whatever's left over, you think, okay, obviously I'm religious. I should do some things for Jesus. No, it's Jesus first. How can I lift up Jesus? And then, I love this, in Epaphroditus example, um, he shows us that we don't think of Jesus first and then ourselves second. In fact, we think of Jesus first, then others second, then ourselves third. <laughs> Epaphroditus uh, Paul says of him in, in verse 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So I love this. This guy almost dies, right? I mean, really, he is at death's door and he recovers a little and his first thought is, oh my gosh, they will be concerned when they hear that I am ill, right? It's not like, let me take a minute, I almost died. It's, he recovers enough and thinks, oh man, somebody's got to reassure them, I'm, you know, don't, don't be concerned about me, it's fine, right? In other words, his, his first concern when he recovers his faculties is not himself, but his friends, his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now look, I, I am definitely not a pastor that loves cheesy acronyms, but I'm going to ch- share a, a somewhat cheesy acronym with you because I, I just can't get over it. I think it really is good. Um, commentators Chan and Merida talk about the principle of J-O-Y, right? Spelling joy, just in case someone's still working on that. Joy. And they say this, the path to joy is Jesus, then others, then yourself, right? J-O-Y. Jesus, then others, then yourself. Meaning that our culture thinks if we run at ourselves first and make ourselves happy, then whatever's left over we'll give to other people and that's what real happiness looks like. And they go, no, 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 the biblical way of pursuing joy is you run at Jesus first, and then out of that, you serve others, and then out of that, Jesus provides for you. And that's the path to true true joy. In other words, when you pursue Jesus, you get more Jesus. And when you pursue Jesus, you'll want to pursue his people. And as you serve his people, you find out, surprise, surprise, you get more of Jesus. And then out of that, then, Jesus, you trust to take care of your own needs. So this is the way that our hearts get reordered as gospel partners. Now, the reason Paul is holding up the example of these two men is that through them, we see the example of God himself, of Jesus. John 3.16 tells us that God the Father loved the world so much that he sent his son to die for us. God had us as broken, sinful, rebellious people on his heart. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. We wish we had more time with you today. But sadly, that's all we have to share from Pastor Ricky's message today. However, you don't have to stop learning from the happiest book in the Bible. We'd like to encourage you to read ahead in Philippians and let the joy Jesus has to give you become your go-to emotion. 
If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other Better News Radio series, we'd like to invite you to visit betternewsradio.com. You'll even be able to subscribe to our podcast, watch Pastor Ricky's welcome video, and download a free book. If you're searching for a church in your area, we'd also like to point you to the church tab at betternewsradio.com. There you'll find a resource to help you locate a great community of faith that would be happy to welcome you into their family. If you're in El Paso, we'd love to have you come by Cross of Grace Church. Find directions and service times at the church tab as well, right there online at betternewsradio.com. We know that some of our listeners today may be experiencing some difficulties in life, and we'd like to let you know that you're being prayed for regularly here at Better News Radio. If you ever have a specific request you'd like us to take before the Lord, feel free to give us a call. Our number is 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. Thanks again for being part of our listening audience. Join us next time to keep experiencing the happiest book in the Bible, right here on Better News Radio.